Good afternoon and welcome to Data Archival, Minimizing Risk and Maximizing ROI, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by 314E. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to audience participation. You can send in your questions or comments in the, in the uh, Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Uh, nice way to look at the screen, click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chuck Podesta, CIO at Renown Health, Saad Chaudhry, CIO at Luminous Health, and Abhishek Begarhoda, CEO at 314E Corporation. So let's jump right into our discussion, important discussion today. Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Thank you, uh, Anthony. Thanks, everyone, for taking time out of your busy days, especially during the holiday season. So um, I'm Chuck Podesta, as Anthony said, uh, CIO, Renowned Health. I've actually been here about four months um, in uh, Renowned Health. If you don't know, is integrated, the only integrated delivery system in Nevada. Uh, and it's not Nevada, by the way. It's Nevada. I learned that <laughs> a couple of months of uh, being here and saying Nevada all the time. Uh, definitely, I was, they, they knew I was an East Coaster, um, you know, right off the bat, but uh, only integrated delivery system uh, in, uh, in Nevada, and uh, we're out of Northern Nevada, as I said, in Reno. Um, uh, we have uh, it's five hospitals, including a, a children's hospital, uh, along with a, a, a large uh, medical group, and, um, and we also have a, an affiliation. We just, just joined us at the University of of um, Reno, uh, Med uh, University of Reno, excuse me, uh, medical school joined us. And uh, so it's UNR, um, a medical school. So we are rapidly moving towards being an academic medical center. Uh, and they just joined us in July. So we, we have a bunch of faculty that we put onto Epic um, in the fall and we're starting to merge them in and doing, uh, expanding on research and hiring chairs and all the things that you do in an academic setting. So pretty exciting stuff. Very good, Chuck. Thank you, Saad. Uh, thank you for the intro there. And then uh, thank you everybody for being here today for the talk. Uh, my name is Saad Chaudhary. I'm the Chief Information Officer for Luminous Health. Luminous Health is an integrated delivery uh, system here in the East Coast, Central Maryland to be exact. Uh, we are a three hospital system uh, and about 80 ambulatory facilities spread out amongst about four counties in Central Maryland, about 1.5 billion annual revenue, about 9,000 uh, staff members and employees overall. Um, we have, we, it's, it's a relatively new health system. So we've had our uh, sort of obstacles that come along with organizational integration. Uh, the system itself was formed when two smaller uh, health systems came together in 2019. I am the first enterprise level CIO here. Very good, so thank you. Abhishek? <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, hosting this, Anthony. Uh, my name is Abhishek, I'm the CEO of 
314E Corporation, where a 16 odd year old healthcare IT services and now products company, um, you know, around 300 people, um, you know, worldwide, 150 odd uh, staff members in the United States and 150 in Bangalore, India. We do uh, interoperability and analytics is our core capability, a lot of Epic implementations as well. And uh, over the last few years, we're rapidly uh, embracing product development. And as it so happens, we have an archival product as well. I look forward to participating in the discussion. Abhishek, we got to speak a little bit at the recent Chime conference, and you, you told me a little bit about the founding of the company, and it's an interesting story. Uh, it sort of evolved out of a project that you were involved in. Can you want to just give us a little overview on that? I think the people would be interested in that. Yeah, no, sure. And thank you for remembering that, Anthony. So I used to be a programmer for um, IBM, and IBM was developing a clinical information system for Kaiser Permanente, largely ambulatory. Uh, and this was in the early 2000s. And uh, Kaiser had a change in leadership. They uh, hired a gentleman called George Halverson as their CEO. And uh, he used to be the CEO of Health Partners in Minnesota, which had deployed Epic. And uh, once George Halverson came on, you know, he was, you know, there was a lot of, uh, custom software development projects failing in the late 1990s and you know early 2000s so he was you know not necessarily happy with Kaiser spending hundreds of millions of dollars on custom software development and they uh, you know they essentially hired a big five consulting company uh, to do an epic Cerner bake-off they fired IBM they chose epic and um, and you know, so 3 and 4E was essentially formed as a byproduct of that when I got the pink slip from IBM. <laughs> they needed data converted from the IBM clinical information system into Epic. And that's how we, we started. And you know, Epic essentially, it'd be fair to say Kaiser probably was and still might be the biggest customer. And they essentially took off right after that. And this was around, I would say, uh, 2004 or so. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thanks for recounting some of that for me. I appreciate it. All right, Saad, let's start with you. Let's get into the topic. Can you talk about some of the main data archiving and application sunsetting projects you've been involved with? What did you learn from these experiences and what are the main CIO skills needed to be successful in this kind of work? So that's that. That's a very loaded question, and and <laughs> it's it's a very complex one. I'm happy to take a stab at it. Of course, uh -huh. um, you know. A lot of our footprint, as I mentioned in the intro, is, is in the ambulatory side. So that's about 80 plus ambulatory facilities and then very concentrated because they're spread out only in, in about three to four counties in middle Maryland. Most of them we acquired over time. So, uh, so as, as you're acquiring these cl uh, uh, clinical facilities, sometimes they're coming with EHRs that are housed on-prem. Sometimes, more often actually, they're coming with EHRs that they're getting from somewhere else or uh, sort of like a cloud provider just because, you know, they're small clinics and they don't have the overhead of an IT team. So as you acquire them as the CIO of the organization from the acquiring side, you have to figure out what to do with their data coming in. So not only building them and, and bringing them into your EHR, but also what happens with their legacy data. Um, and then along with that, uh, if you have a specific brand of EHR, as all of us probably know, 
you have a specific instance of that EHR and it doesn't necessarily mean that another practice, another hospital somewhere else that's in your health system that you bring on board with the same exact EHR would be able to just combine their legacy data for a specific instance. So an example of that would be even though we brought on, you know, 20 odd practices over time, uh, the logos of the EHR vendors were probably about four, four or five. However, we had to maintain over a dozen different instances of EHR data, legacy data, simply because just because the logo was the same, the vendor was the same, it was a separate instance and hence had separate data structures, different versions and so on and so forth. So what I began to learn from this was that just because there is, and, and we talk about interoperability a lot in healthcare, but just because you have the same EHR vendor also doesn't always mean that you're going to be able to very quickly combine the legacy data archives um, and, 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 and sunset those applications from running on a server somewhere just for archival uh, access purposes. The other thing is, um, we often joke about this in healthcare that a lot of the startups and innovation and innovative teams and, and companies out there, um, they're really just custom developments uh, shops that, that have a very niche uh, sort of value proposition, whether it's an application or, or something that they do as a function. And then they have to build something custom around that to take it to production, to actually allow it to operate in an actual healthcare setting. Well, Unfortunately or fortunately, it depends on how you look at it, uh, whether you're Abhishek or whether you're Chuck and I, um, a lot of this uh, uh, archiving stuff is that. It's actually a lot of custom sort of sorting and, and man data manipulation to ensure that you can get to a state where some standard output comes out of it, whether it's a data structure, a, a central data warehouse from multiple different instances of legacy EHRs and so on and so forth. That initial thing is always some level of custom data manipulation. And then what that essentially means is that a CIO just needs to be comfortable with the idea that there will need to be some level of partnership up front. It's not just going to be a turnkey project that you say, you know what, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to plug it in and, and apply it somewhere in the data center, that's going to be it. There's not going to be any other manipulation, data transfer, transformation of any sort required. So this does take some care and feeding. And just because you have sunset an older application and you do need to keep that data around doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy road. It still requires a little bit of attention. Um. Saad, quick, quick question. You, you used the word instances when talking about a particular vendor application. Instances. How does the word instances relate or is the same or different than versions or upgrading? So when you know an upgrade comes out, you go to a new version. That How does that relate to the word instance in terms of interoperability and being able to merge data from two different versions or instances together? Sometimes when you have a new version come out, I would imagine it doesn't change a lot, but sometimes it may. So how do you how do you work through that? That's a good question. So, you know, at, at its very, very base level, the instance in the EHR world essentially means where your pool of data for the EHR rests. So if, if you want to look up, if you're a physician and you're treating Saad Chaudhary, uh, and if Saad Chaudhary has been a patient at your health system, he, my, my data will appear in that instance. However, 
if our organization is about to acquire another practice or another hospital, they may also have the same EHR as us, but I may not exist in their instance, in their database. Uh, there's multiple databases, of course, in the background, but in their data warehouse or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. The issue is, so if you take the example of the Microsoft Office Suite, if you have a Word document that you save on your computer, even if you have a different version of Microsoft Office Word, and you send it over to me, I will be able to open it. Word will be able to make sense of it. Uh, however, if you have an EHR by the same exact name brand as me, mm -hmm. and if you have had different version upgrades, you've changed some things over the years, and somebody else has the same exact uh, EHR company, but they have done theirs over the years a little differently. If you were able to just give me a, a database from the structure, just a single database saying, hey, can you just import this on your side? It's not going to be plug and play. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be somebody just saying, of course, it's the same vendor. It'll just work right away. It doesn't work that way. So that's what I mean by instances. Uh, you know, your instance of an EHR will inevitably be different than somebody else's if they have grown up in a different environment and not integrated with you. Got it. Thank and, you for that. Thank and you for Anthony, that. if you want, yes, I can add that sure. a little bit. Um, so, you know, Saad's exactly right. The variability in these instances comes from a version differences. Uh, you know, even if it's the same vendor to the workflow of the provider might result in using this, you know, different features. And so data, you know, the same kind of data might be in different places, even if it's the same version. And then sometimes really small vendors, they may not have had the discipline, they could have done custom work on a given provider's instance. So we've seen that as well. So all those three things result in variability where, and then obviously lack of standards, you know, fires addressing that a little bit, but there's no standard data representation of this data. You know, the continuity of care documents try to address that a little bit, but, you know, for some type of data, but, you know, so as a result, you literally, it's not easy to export patient mm -hmm. data from one EHR and import into another. Uh, and hence, you know, uh, you know, challenges uh, that result from that. So Saad's example of how a Microsoft document uh, can work on whatever computer, whatever version of Microsoft you have, that is something that these vendors in the EHR side have not done. They have not kept it in such a condition where what works with a Microsoft document, can't, it, it won't work with EHR instances, correct? That is yeah, correct. So, yeah. yeah, just to add to that, if if you... Think about the data itself. And let's just, since we're diving into the weeds a little bit here, let's think about lab data, right? So you've got lab data from five, six years ago or lab data coming from another organization that uh, is merging with you and you need to ingest that data. You know, based on normal values and abnormal values of five years ago versus what they are today for various tests are very different. Could be very different from state to state on what's a normal and what's an abnormal is really there are some national standards around that, but you know not everybody adheres to that. Uh, and that's a wide variety of, of, of lab tests. And so if you've got different ranges versus what's coming into your system and a physician pulls that up from say it's old data, uh, you know, do you, do you translate into the new values that you have for normals and abnormals or do you leave it static because that's the way it was four years ago. Uh, and then conversely, if you bring in data from a, 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 an M&A uh, process and it's different 
values, which ones do you pick? Um, so it can get very complex when it comes down to data governance. You know, back in the day when I, I've been at CIO for 25 years, you were just pulling the data in. It was read only, not actionable. That you just wanted to, it was for retention purposes only. And um, and you link maybe link it to the EHR so you can pull it up uh, when you pull the patient up if somebody wanted to see some of the older data. But it wasn't really actionable. A lot of times it was a bunch of PDFs. That's all changed now. Um, you know, with the 21st Century Cures Act, you know, with interoperability, having to use fire, um, and and also, you know, from the standpoint of retention, and then when a, a patient asks for the information, you know, being able to get that the entire record or whatever they're looking for in a very fast and and easy process, which is very difficult to do out of an EHR. So, you know, it's 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 the, the world has completely changed, but the data piece of it. Uh, has not and uh, can get and the lab is only one example. I'm sure you know Abhishek and Saad can cite many, many more. So Saad, you you described a, and we've talked so far about the complexities, why it's difficult. You know, we've gone over the reasons it's challenging. Um, do you feel like you've got some best practices as a CIO that, that after grappling with this, um, that you feel like you've got a methodology or a way forward to deal with these difficulties, or is it still feel like a work in progress? You know, I, I think the best practices around this really do develop uh, from one organization to the next. And part of that is because some of those will lie in your partnership with organizations like 314E. Uh, so if you have an organization that you're working with to have an archival solution in place, over time, the people at that uh, vendor and at your organization will come to a standard operating procedure. Hey, we're buying a new facility. Hey, their previous EHR was XYZ. Oh, yeah, we archived one of those before. So let's get on with the data transformation and analysis initially, and then we'll get them into the same exact kind of archiving solution that we've had in the past. The the, the trick around this, from my perspective, the learning for me was to just be comfortable that that initial analysis will output a level of custom work. Uh, sometimes it'll be repetition if you've done a lot of archiving in the past, but there will be something unique. And, and I have come across every single one of these. Uh, there's going to be something unique about each one that you do. And in, you just have to be open to saying that, okay, we'll just have to figure a way around it. We're just going to have a figure way, approach it, and then add it to our, you know, if you have a single repository for archiving or multiple ones. So it's just being comfortable with the idea that there's not going to be a one hit wonder sort of status uh, as soon as you know up front that you're about to buy a hospital or a facility or a sunsetting an application, you'll know exactly what you need to do with that data and how it needs to be transformed for the archive. Doc, it, it sounds, it, is this an area that it, you really want a strong vendor as a partner to help you with these conversions? I mean, do you want to be sitting there slogging through this yourself as an IT department, or you want to just say, have someone trusted and say, okay, we just acquired them, deal with it, figure it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you, you definitely want to have a partner that's dealt with like various EHRs, all different types of, you know, ERP systems, whatever it might be because then they've seen it, right? And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can rely on them as, hey, they they just did this at Hospital X, you know, two months ago. 
So you just rely on them to do the mapping and, 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 and making sure that connections work back to the systems for viewing and, and, and things like that. But um, uh, it, it's interesting kind of where the market is going uh, because of uh, what's happening with the 21st Century Cures Act and, and just where healthcare is going. A lot of these vendors, and maybe Abhishek could talk more about this, are actually going into the data analytics side of the world, right? And because they're capturing all this data from multiple systems. And like I said, and originally it was for retention and retrieval for patient care, but now it can be used for research. Uh, it can be used for a variety of different reasons, right? Uh, and that requires more than just what an archival solution will do. That requires, you know, tools and uh, databases that are beyond what's in the normal archiving. So I'm hearing a lot of of uh, discussions. Some vendors are already moving in that direction. Some are thinking about it. So it's kind of an interesting um, aspect of what's happening. Abhishek, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So that's uh, that's very very accurate, Chuck. That you know what we're seeing is. <clears throat> that you know, you know, five years back, seven years back, even a couple of years back, the archival was essentially non-actionable data, which you know, you're, you know, some vendor is extracting data from your systems and locking it up somewhere. And the only value to the health system is, you know, if I can, you know, is essentially retention. You know, so you're complying with uh, you know, legal medical requirements. And in some cases, a uh, little bit of, if I can use the expression CYA that, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what's in there and when this might become valuable in the, you know, down the road and, you know, let's just keep it somewhere. Now, what we're seeing is that the same effort one can leverage in at least three different ways. So, you know, you talked about the data warehouse, you know, obviously we're in a world where information uh, is valued and, you know, data is liquid gold uh, or, uh, so, you know, a lot of organizations want to use this archive data and put it to use in all kinds of analytics. The second thing is, you know, uh, conversion. So, you know, you obviously, if, at least if it's clinical data, you want to extract some of it and put it in your new EPIC system, for instance. Uh, and, you know, typically we see that those are run as separate efforts and, you know, disjointed projects. And what we're, at least for one of our customers, and we're seeing more and more of this, that all three of those could be, you know, run off of a single project and the organization derives a lot more value at a lot lower cost. So, um, you know, certainly that's the direction the industry is going. And as you mentioned, Chuck, with the Cures Act, now all of a sudden there's going to be requirements to make this data available as fire resources to patients or the applications that they sort of delegate and the archival vendors are going to have to step up and support fire APIs or the onus is going to be on the health system to figure out some way of again extracting legacy data assuming that you've not put all of that data in your you know epic or cerner or what have you then you're going to have to go back and find some way of you know, again, unlocking that data and delivering it as fire resources. 
Very good. Um, Saad, what do you think is the proper level that a CIO should be involved in these projects at um, in terms of what do you delegate over internally to someone um, and also then you're bringing in a vendor possibly to deal with it? To what degree do you need to manage this and stay involved? I would imagine it would be very bad for one of these projects to go south. That's not good, right? Because you could really have a big problem compliance and all sorts of things. But tell me your thoughts on that. So the answer to that will differ depending on which CIA you're speaking with, how long, how big their uh, team is, you know, how big their org structure is in general. Um, I would say probably that this kind of stuff more often than not will fall under uh, whichever leader reports up to the CIO that handles uh, the EHR landscape and or deals with the data structures and data warehouses and analytics oftentimes. Uh, those kind of leaders are usually the ones that these projects fall under. As for what do you want to outsource versus do yourself, uh, I'm of the same mind as Chuck. So a lot of this is, as I've mentioned before, ends up being at least a little bit unique, if, if not very unique, when you go from one archiving project to the next. And usually it's better to be able to get the experts that have that do this for a living day in and day out. They tend to have at least some level of experience with all the major EHRs. They've dealt with different versions. They've dealt with different kind of projects where you're dumping a lot of data from very, very disparate kind of uh, instances um, uh, cleaning that and uh, cleaning the data in the sense that you're standardizing it to some extent, and then you're creating one single archive from it. That's the holy grail when it comes to data archiving, right? So you want to get that external partner and you want to make sure as a CIO that the folks that actually deal with the inherent little issues that go around how data is accessed from the user perspective are the ones that are overseeing that project. As a CIO, I, I, I tend to say, that if I get down into the weeds, everybody's in trouble, right? Yeah. <laughs> because because we don't we don't know as much as the subject matter experts, as the leaders that are very tactical, that understand the reality on the ground. Uh, so we need to let them lead these kind of things. Right, Chuck, right. and there's a there's a couple areas of strategy focus where a CIO that really need to look at when you when you think about archiving. One we talked about was the 21st Century Cures Act. So you know you're responsible for the technology to meet you know, that particular requirement. So how does archiving fit in? So define the strategy of how it fits in from a fire perspective and, and how it fits in, fits in from interoperability potentially, and also retention and delivery of information in a timely fashion to the patients when they request it. So how does that piece work? But then you also have this thing called application rationalization, which we're all you know, going through. And I, I'm doing that here now, been here four months. We have way more application, even though we have, you know, Epic is our EHR, we got another, you know, 799 that aren't Epic and um, uh, that have just been acquired over the over the years. And uh, many of those have been sunsetted. Um, we're still paying, you know, read only maintenance on on them. I, I, we've calculated 15 uh, that we're currently moving right now just to be able to get rid of the software maintenance. So there's an ROI associated with that, mm -hmm. right? So my job is that, you know, from an app rationalization is out of those 800 applications, how many can we just archive away, get rid of the, um, get rid of the uh, maintenance aspects of it, get that ROI in, plug it into whatever system it needs to, if you need to pull this, the information back in contextually with the patient and, and start to reduce that, that spend uh, over time. So archiving has a play in that. 
So that's the CIO's job is to try to figure out, and the vendor can help as well because they've seen a lot, is where does it fit? It's not just moving the data for retention. Where does it fit? Is there a data analytics play? You know, because we're moving to research now. So uh, I mentioned University of Nevada, Reno uh, Medical School. And so is there a play there? So that's my job is to kind of figure out where it fits, but then let the others, you know, do the do the work as as Saad mentioned. Abhishek, what are you seeing in terms of CIO involvement when you deal with a lot of different customers? What are you typically seeing as the CIO's role in these projects? And my other question is, what do you need from your customers to be to help them be successful with the project so you can do what you need to do? I'm sure you see all different types of engagement. Some customers give you everything you need to help them be successful, and some may not give it to you at the right time when you need it in the proper form, and you're waiting, and you're not able to provide the service that you want to because they're not giving you the certain things you need to do it. So what are your thoughts on both of those? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, as Saad and Chuck said, you know, it's, you know, typically not the CIO that is sort of in the weeds of this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of their, you know, VPs or directors, depending on the size of the organization. Uh, And, you know, typically even a a project manager that we're dealing with, you know, when it comes to executing, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the challenge, the biggest challenge we see is what, once we set the right level of expectation, and that's very important, right? There's no magic bullets, right? So it's not like, you know, it's not plug and play, you know, as Saad was alluding to. So, you know, obviously, you know, the vendor also has, um, you know, we need to set reasonable expectation of the timeline, you know, cost, etc. And typically, we're able to give fixed, you know, prices. But the biggest challenge is, that the outgoing vendor may not be the most, um, you know, they may not, uh, you know, be the easiest to work with. Mm-hmm. And, and especially if it's a cloud hosted sort of environment where it's not the, uh, the outgoing software is not on-prem. So typically you don't have access to the database. You could be reliant on the other vendor to give access or to provide data extracts. And those can take a long time. And, you know, I, and I think we, we've run into several situations where typically that has to go up the food chain to the CIO to then get involved and somehow find a way to push that vendor uh, that, you know, you need to cooperate. Um, but I think that to us has been, you know, in a lot of instances, that becomes the challenge. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, you know we sort of we would advise learning from those experiences is, you know, if you're signing a SaaS contract, then, you know, you need to have, you know, your lawyers review it really well as far as, you know, the, you know, the, the price points and, uh, you know, the availability of your data made available to you. And hopefully in industry standard formats now that, you know, fire is rapidly becoming a standard, at least for clinical data. So in, you know, getting that from the outgoing vendor is, is a challenge. So that's very interesting. So, Saad, if we know that one of the biggest difficulties in executing these can be cooperation from the outgoing vendor, we want to, in the future, get ahead of that, as Abhishek was saying, from a contractual point of view, and make sure as we're getting in that we know we have an out, that we know they're going to have to cooperate on these projects. Number one, have you had challenges, without naming names, 
Have you had challenges with vendors being sunset in terms of them cooperating to help you transition off of their software? Um, and have you put more thought into contracting to help you exit if and when you want to? So I think that's a great question. And I'll, and I'll answer that question in the inverse way. So I'll answer the second part first. Uh, yes, we are taking a very, very um, thoughtful approach now when it comes to signing any contracts where, and, and most of the time, I think right now, the new systems, ancillary specialty systems are in the cloud. So we are taking a very thoughtful approach to how does that data first, how is it collected? Where is it kept? There's, of course, the whole cybersecurity piece mm -hmm. of it where you're actually evaluating the infrastructure behind the vendor, uh, what they utilize. And then you're also looking at that out clause. How does that data, who owns it after the fact and in, and in perpetuity? And then how do we actually get it back out if we need to? Um, in terms of the experiences, it's it's been a varied bunch. So I can say this, that uh, I have dealt with I would say over a dozen different uh, instances uh, in, in terms of dealing with sometimes the same vendor, but with a different account person, uh, with a different contract, and so on and so forth. Um, none of them have ever said, no, you can't have the data. But what usually happens is because you are canceling a contract, they're not going to say, hey, I'm going to put my star engineer uh, on your account to help you get the data in the exact way that you need so you can smoothly archive this. Uh, so what's going to happen is they're going to kind of they're going to start off with saying, hey, we're just going to export this out with our most standard way that we export out data for you and we're going to deliver it. These are your options. Pick one. Um, the issue is, is what we all discussed a little bit ago, which is that usually there is some level of thoughtfulness that goes into this project. It's not a very standard turnkey thing. And so as you're going through that initial analysis and review to figure out what you will actually need to do, you and your partner, uh, um, what will usually happen is that you may go back to that application vendor and say, hey, we would like to have our data in this manner instead. We know you're capable of doing it. Can you just do this? And they will sometimes, you know, put up roadblocks because it may require extra hours, billable hours from their side that they may come back to you and say, we may need to charge you to do X, Y, and Z. So there's a little bit of negotiation from the, uh, from the folks that are actually dealing with that account. Uh, sometimes it gets escalated up to the CIO. Sometimes the CIO may not need to step in, but it is a little give and take. Uh, so that's where I have seen issues. It's never a, no, you absolutely cannot have your data. It's more of a how that gets to you. Yeah, and that, Chuck, and that has to be done at the beginning of the contract. Unfortunately, you know, as uh, myself, we move around, we inherit these contracts, right? So, you know, it comes down to the 60, 90 day termination and you've got to go off of what the existing contract is. But assuming you're going into a new one, you know, think about it, it all good contracts, are done when you when you manage the divorce first. Yeah, right. You, you go into the divorce first, and you map that out. So when you give that 60, 90 day notice, whatever it is, what happens then? What what is my responsibility as a customer? What is the vendor's responsibility? And um, you know all the things that you unwind, how you get your data. You map that all out in very detailed, right? 
because a lot of times, just like in a regular marriage, you know, you go into these new vendors and it's all euphoria. Oh my God, this thing is going to solve all the problems of the world here. Oh, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, three, four years later, it's like, whoa, this thing's a dog now and it's not working and we got to move on and, and, uh, you know, let's shake hands and be friends. But, you know, if you don't do that divorce aspect before the marriage aspect, you're, you're, you're really going to go down a wrong path. And we, and we all know, cause we're, we're constantly trying to unwind these things and Abhishek's in the middle of it as well, trying to get the data and being nice to the, the vendors, but they, they have no, you know, they've got other clients that are, you know, they have no real, there's no real benefit to them to help you except that, um, you know, the good ones want to go out on a high note. Abhishek, you ever feel like a marriage counselor or a divorce lawyer? <laughs> Well, I think what Chuck's talking about is having a strong prenup in place. So yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so I think that's always, you know, that's a good, that's a really good idea. You know, so uh, for sure, I think in, especially with the SaaS applications, I think that's just a must. But we're seeing that a lot of customers do not put enough thought into it. So we're certainly seeing that, and and it comes back, and you know, as as Saad said. It's not that anyone's going to say to your face, we're not going to give you your data, but things can get, you know, really dragged out. They, they, you may have to spend a lot more money on multiple iterations, essentially, because you know, they didn't give you the documents in the first instance. And, oh, we didn't know you needed you know, scanned documents, which were in the EMR itself. And you know, they've given you an export, which doesn't have that. And now, you know, all of a sudden, two months have gone by in the back and forth. And the other aspect is you don't know what you don't know in that what has been delivered, is it complete or not, till such time the archive vendor or your data conversion into your uh, EMR, they have had you know, a few weeks or months of looking at it. So you know, if they mess up the legacy vendor and giving you the data, you're going to inform them much later, not right away. So it adds to the timelines consistently. Abhishek, what's the difference between a, a excellent vendor in in this area, someone like yourself that provides these services? What's the difference between an excellent vendor and an average vendor? What does somebody do who's really good at this for their customers? Uh, that, that's a good question, Anthony. Uh, you know, obviously there's the technology aspect of it. So, but if I leave that aside, right? So if you're, you know, as long as you have all the right features and, you know, you're looking towards the future and helping with, you know, CureZac compliance and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's really, uh, you know, putting the customer first and doing the right thing. So, um, you know, you know, we realize that healthcare you know, we're not a one trick pony. We've been around 15 plus years and we want to be around the next 15, 20, 30 years. So, you know, we have to build long-term relationships with the customer and not be caught up in the moment about, you know, sort of petty negotiations or, you know, so we try to take the high road with the customer. And I think mm -hmm. that separates um, in general, I think, vendors that leave a good taste in the mouths of their customer mm -hmm. versus the ones that don't. Right. Um, you know, I think we, you know, I don't know how the, that adage goes, you know, 
do unto others as you would have them do to you. So I think that's what we take to heart. We want to treat our customers really well. And more, I would say almost 100% of cases, that's reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, don't nickel and dime. I think and Saad was talking about uh, potential charges from the set vendor being sunsetted. And I was wondering, Saad, if, if they offer you a reasonable number of choices for free, a, you know, ABC you can have for free and you come back and you say, well, we'd really like D, which wasn't an option you offered me. That's what we want. If they were to come back and say, OK, that's actually going to take some man hours and they gave you a reasonable quote. Is that appropriate? It, it depends. Right. So um, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, whenever you're setting up an application, uh, a lot of times you stray away from what comes out of the box. You configure some things, you're using some fields, you're not using other fields. And and by default, if you do an export out of a specific database, it'll include every field that's in there. And it'll muddy up the waters in terms of what that looks like when it's exported out to be imported into some kind of archive. So you may ask, for example, as a CIO or the customer, um, that, hey, we would love to only get the fields that we're using from our in, in our instance. And they respond maybe, well, that's going to take some some manipulation and man hours to do, so we're going to charge you for that. The In that specific case, I would say, you know what? We paid to get a specific kind of software, and we were using only a part of it. And, and you said at that time, if we wanted to use the other features, you would charge us more for them. And we forwent that. We said, well, we don't want to use them. We just want to use this. And now you're saying, we're just going to dump the entire data piece because that's the easiest thing for you to do. And you're going to charge us extra to take those things out. In those specific cases, I would, I was ha- hazard, I guess, that you would want to put your foot down and say, no, I don't want to pay extra for this. But on the other hand, um, you know, that could turn around very quickly because you may actually be the person that has customized something to an extent that suits your organization. And it would actually take a monumental effort for that vendor to adjust things on their side. In that case, I would say, you know what, these guys have mortgages to pay and they have mm-hmm. salaries to mm-hmm. pay as well. So we should probably pony up that extra cash. Chuck, any thoughts around that? What's what's reasonable yeah. and fair? And there's lots of nuances and things. You're a reasonable guy. Right. You're not trying to to break any break the bank or break anybody. So what's reasonable? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, the the vendors in the business to to make money and provide a good service. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to bankrupt them because they are a partner, um, at least, you know, until you give them that 60 to 90 day notice. (laughs) Uh, Again, you know, you got to have the contracts there. But but like with an archival, you know, with Abishek's company, you know, if I had 15 applications that I knew about and I hired his company, they came in and took care of them. And then I found the 16th or the 17th. And for him to say, you know, hey, we'll just do that. We'll just take care of that. Right. No problem. That That's what you want in a partner uh, to come back with. Oh, 16th or 17th. That's going to be another, you know, 20, 30 thousand dollars. That gets to your nickel and dime stuff. When it gets to the not, we're talking about now, say um, ERP vendors, whatever it might be that you are you are sunsetting, you just give them the 60, 90 day notice. I think what you can do now with some of the newer contracts is start to embed fire into that as part of, of their capabilities that at some point they need to have fire. Now they do anyway, right? Because of the government, you're going to have to be from an interoperability standpoint, they're all going to have to have that. So I think we're going to be in a better place a few years from now because we'll be able to get that data through a fire type of mechanism as opposed to them 
uh, having some sort of proprietary database that only they can manipulate to send us the data. So I think in your contracts, you're going to want to, you know, focus on that piece, uh, you know, when it comes to that divorce that we talked about. All right, very good. It's time for my favorite segment, or Ask a Co-Panelist, where I get to relax and watch other people do the work, so to speak. Um, just kidding. Abushek, uh, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Well, I'd love to know if you've uh, run into any serious landmines or any application that you just have not been able to archive for whatever reason. Either their data structure was, say, cache and you know, data was not easily extractable or for any other reason, uh, you know, either of you, Chuck or Saad. Chuck, you want to let's take... start with you. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple actually I'm looking at right now. They're over, we actually have, uh, I should have mentioned in my intro, we have a, a, a company called Hometown Health. We actually have an insurance product. Um, and uh, from a payer perspective, there's a lot of kind of old applications there. We're actually putting in some new stuff now with Salesforce and Tapestry with Epic, but there's some really, and we haven't dug in enough yet, but these are systems that were running in 2003, 2004. And um, just in looking at some of the data structures, I think it's going to be a, a big challenge for us. So there's some of that stuff around. Sud? Uh, so usually uh, when you, we've, we've had that. So we've had a, a few instances where it was a it was a very unique or in one this is actually a custom developed app. So they just uh, that specific uh, clinic just went out to a custom developer and said just make us a registration type app and they kept adding to it. In those cases, it basically required another custom developer to get that data to be ready to be archived. But you know the the uh, the end result whenever any CIO hits this roadblock is to just keep an instance of that EHR or app running on a small fenced off server somewhere. And that's an issue when the organization gets large enough or if the organization in itself is already very large because then you have to care and feed so many different archive instances of that application running somewhere, keep them updated, keep their OS updated, all that stuff. So we run into issued landmines and then you basically end up creating something that may become a landmine later on <laughs> from another perspective. Very good. Very good. Uh, Saad, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Sure. So um, I'll actually ask Abhishek this. So Abhishek, you you are in this business, right? So uh, this is one of the things that you do. And, and you've probably had some uh, success stories and you've probably had some difficult horror stories. Um, I'd love to hear bookends. Uh, I'd love to hear your favorite success and your, your perhaps even more favorite uh, place of opportunity. Sure. So, you know, I think most of them have been, you know, reasonable successes. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, we're working with a customer right now where we're archiving data from 15 different, you know, actually it's probably more like 20. If, and if we count instances, it's going to be around 40 or 50. So, but 15 different unique pieces of, you know, software, all the major EHRs that you can think of, they're consolidating into Epic. And we are using that opportunity to actually create an enterprise data lake for them. And we're extracting data from that data lake, uh, which is going into Epic, you know, five years of data. So that's data that's converted. And then we're archiving all of that, including the documents in our system. So, you know, they're super excited. We're super excited. We don't know 
of too many other instances where the same technology stack has been used to sort of achieve all three of these things. Uh, so that's certainly a success. Um, you know, in terms of, I'm trying to think of where we've had issues and I think we've, you know, one a customer on the West Coast, I know we had, you know, it took a year to get the job done. And, you know, I think it, they weren't very pleased with us, but essentially it was, you know, back and forth and back and forth with the vendor, the legacy vendor. And mm. it was just a little too much. And, you know, after, after a while, you know, the, the you know, and I, I, you know, can't blame the CIO for thinking, hey, you know, you could have done something more or extra or different. And, you know, I think we were a little bit of a, you know, we, yeah, we couldn't meet the expectation of mm -hmm. timeline. But you, you couldn't meet it because you weren't getting what you needed from the vendor who was being sunset. The customer, your ultimate customer may have just said, I hired you to do this, right? I hired you to solve this problem with them. And you're saying, well, I've done as much as I can. There's no, because I don't have a, I didn't even have any contract with them. You know, that it, it gets complicated, right? Complicated. And it, it was one of those situations I mentioned earlier where it took us a while to figure out, you know, what was wrong, right, with the data that was delivered, because, you know, some data was missing and it, it takes a little bit of time. And by the time we went back to the vendor, you know, they were again, they and it took two or three iterations and that mm -hmm. really extended the timeline. And, you know, the sure. customer was happy. Yeah, about if it. you have to go back to the vendor who's being sunsetted multiple times, they're probably like, we didn't want to deal with you the first time. And now you're coming back again. Right. So you, their tolerance gets lower and lower for cooperation. So I can imagine that's challenging, but appreciate your answer there. Chuck, you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists. Sure. Well, I'm just going to pile on uh, oh, boy. here with another Poor guy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, we, we, Abhishek, we talked about it a little bit earlier. We touched on it, but for, for your product and also archiving, what do you, what does 2.0, 3.0 look like? I mean, 2.0 really is this Cures Act compliance. So, you know, the, uh, what our product is, uh, and we're almost there, what we're focused on doing is, uh, you know, A, the Smart on Fire launch, which is now you're able to uh, seamlessly launch from the EMR with essentially the same privileges as in the EMR as well. So, you know, who's launching, you know, uh, you know, who the user is and, you know, you may, they may not have the privileges to see that patient, for instance. So, you know, that setup is coming from Smart on Fire. Then, you know, we're actually persisting our data as fire resources. And in our contracts, we're writing that, you know, at no cost to the customer, we're going to, you know, you know, if you divorce uh, for whatever reason, we're going to give you the data as essentially fire resources. So it's sort of highly interoperable way of giving the data back to the customer. And then we run a full read-only fire server. So, uh, which essentially means that, um, you know, a, an organization that is going live with say Cerner or Epic, you know, they're essentially a duopoly now uh, and they, but they just have five years of data in there. They can seamlessly, you know, and this is work in progress. We can deliver the fire resources, but we want in R2.0 that they are able to come through my chart essentially. And, uh, you know, the, the patient's going to be able to ask or an application on their behalf 
can you know they can uh, allow them to get access to the legacy data and we'll deliver it to the application in uh, you know fire native format so uh, you know the last bit you know i would say that is version 2.0 we're not quite there as yet but we're almost there so even today we run a full capability uh, you know fire server um, but making that last mile of you know how that data actually gets to the patient without their having to get another ID password, integrating that with my chart for Epic. I think that is the next version for us. I, I, actually, I really like that. That's a great self-service because, you know, they're bypassing HIM. You have anybody who has a MyChart account can now request not only, you know, see the data from the current EHR, but also see any legacy data that was four or five years old without, you know, uh, calling medical records or, you know, patient relations or whoever it might be. So um, good, good move. Exactly. And that's very exciting for a vendor like us, I think. And we're thankful, frankly, to the United States of, you know, adopting the fire standard and pushing the big vendors, you know, the Epic and the Cerner. And so they're developing their app orchards and code.cerner.com. And that really is good for the, you know, end customer. There's no, the patient essentially. So I think this is going a long way towards, um, you know, interoperability in healthcare, which has been lacking over the years. But we feel like, you know, the next, you know, five years, we're just seeing going to see an explosion of, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, innovative products that really help the patient. Okay. All right. We have time for a quick last word. So, um, Chuck, let me start with you. Final piece of advice for your CIO colleagues grappling with this uh, challenge. Yeah, so I think we touched on, you know, almost all the various challenges. The one thing we didn't do is on the implementation side. Um, so, you know, and I've been involved in a few big implementations with like an Epic EHR and things like that. And what typically occurs in these big implementations is that um, archiving becomes an afterthought because you're so busy on, on implementing, you know, a huge EHR or in, in the case of like an ERP, and there's a lot of company, a lot of organizations now starting to do a lot of that. I think most everybody has an EHR now, but think about it from an ERP perspective, you're about to do a big implementation. Make sure your archiving strategy is embedded in that ERP implementation. So day one of ERP implementation, for example, is a day one of your archiving implementation. So when you get to the end and you go live, You've already figured out where the data, you know, how much you're converting, but where the rest of it is going to be using your archiving partner. So that allows you to get your ROI a lot faster because now you can give that 60, 90 day notice, you know, right after go live as opposed to a year or a year or two years down the road, right? Um, so that would be my one uh, one recommendation. Perfect. Saad? So, you know, one thing that was a hot moment for me was at the one of the last conferences that was in person, somebody mentioned, um, hey, what do you guys do from a data governance perspective when uh, af after keeping a patient's data, you know, X amount of time after they have passed away? So do you have rules around what happens and how you archive data for longstanding records that are no longer going to be updated ever? Uh, and that got me thinking in the past decade, 
majority of the United States uh, healthcare organizations have gotten an EHR, right? So we went through the meaningful use and, and they have been on these EHRs, majority of them for about a decade. Um, age of consent plus three years being 21 years, probably in another decade, we are going to see a lot of organizations scrambling to figure out their data governance and archiving policies. Because at that point in time, they're gonna start asking themselves that very question. Organizations at large have not been on EHRs long enough to grapple with terabytes, petabytes of data of patients that have passed away. And then you don't know what to do with that data later on and how to actually get rid of it or archive it in such a way it's not taking up active space. So my advice right now is that maybe we should start thinking about those detailed things today instead of waiting for another decade and then making that another buzzword uh, with another sprouting of companies and vendors around it. Very good. All right, very good. So Abhishek, um, final thought. Well, I'm going to echo Chuck's sentiment. You know, I think that's, you know, great advice. We often run into customers who don't think about archival, you know, in, enough in advance. And it costs them, you know, uh, you know, in some instances, you know, big amounts of money. You know, we, we work with a customer who paid their legacy, you know, only one legacy EMR vendor, $3 million. And they had a one paragraph extension, uh, you know, for three years. And, you know, which was rock solid, they couldn't get out of it and $3 million essentially down the drain. So, you know, uh, sort of planning this in advance at the same time as you're planning a big project really helps and it'll save you money and a lot of, you know, headaches down the road. So. Um, Excellent. All right. Very good. Well, that is about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this webinar is ready for viewing. Um, if you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. And if you want to register for upcoming webinars, you can go to our site. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel of our good friends, Chuck Podesta, Saad Chaudhry, and Abhishek Begarhoda. And I want to thank 314E for sponsoring today and our attendees for continuing to come to our events. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.